We have an opportunity here to bring presence to the ceremony that is your life. And my invitation to you is to stop whatever you're doing, wherever you are, just for this one precious moment and take a deep breath. Follow the breath into your root point and land yourself right here, right now, into your present moment. And exhale. Welcome to the space where all the magic is happening and prepare yourself to receive the wild, raw expanse that is available inside the dojo that is your life. You are the empowered center point creator of every single experience that you are drawing into your field at this time. When you recognize that and really get that in your bones, you will receive yourself as the magnet for the most perfectly expansive evolutionary curriculum that is precisely crafted for you to evolve beyond what was in order to claim all that is a match to the you who is free. And that is what we are here to do inside the dojo as we explore what it means to live a life beyond the edge. This is a Soul Fire production. Hello, Dojo family. It is so good to be present with you today with an incredible man, Ronnie Landis, who is a dear brother that I'm actually just getting to know. And every single time that I've interacted with you, we've run into each other a few times. I feel a kindred spirit. I feel a soul recognition. I feel a really deep respect. I honor the presence that you bring into every space that I've interacted with with you in. So honoring that in addition to a dear brother that I'm deepening with in real time, as your ears listen to this, he's also a human optimization specialist with a specialty in nutrition and addiction, and also has a background in martial arts, Taekwondo specifically, which is another thread that we share. So it's actually the first time that I have anyone on the podcast that has their own relationship to the energy of the dojo and Mm -hmm. what that means to you. And so I'm really excited to kind of dig into that, actually what your experience was like in the dojo, what you learned in the dojo. And, you know, as, as you're also learning about me and what I do within the dojo ecosystem, the dojo in the way that I hold it now is still the space inside of which we go to train. It's Mm -hmm. now the space inside of which we go to train our consciousness, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. To entrain into the most liberated free, loving version of ourselves that live on the other side of our fear-based edges. And so I, it's such a cool thing to have actually trained in the dojo from age eight to 20 as a Taekwondo athlete and be sitting across now from another brother who walked that walk or kicked that kick, I could say, because it was a journey that was a deep as an elite martial artist. And from what I know about you, you were also training at a national and international competing at a national and international level. And so I'd love to just explore with you as we get to know each other in real time and also give the dojo family an opportunity to get to know you in real time. I'd love to just hear more about your roots before we get into the now, like what's your come from, where did the dojo come into that journey and how did it impact you? What does it mean to you? Beautiful. Yeah. 
I don't get asked that kind of question very often. So I'm just <laughs> presenting to that. And first of all, it's really great to be here with you and to deepen with you as well. Yeah. I share the same sentiments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the the dojo obviously or the dojong obviously has deep, deep meaning. And it's been the environment that I was mostly not just mostly raised in, but most comfortable in. And so I was raised as a martial artist since the age of four, you know, just same, same as you, just like as a child, really immersed in that philosophy, the practical, physical aspect of it, even the spirituality around it, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, deepening into meditation, into psychological development, as well as the physicality of all the training. Mm -hmm. And when I was four, I wasn't really introduced into it as far as like getting brought into the classes. I think that happened when I was around six or seven. But I remember my first conscious memory as a child was of Bruce Lee (laughs) of the movie Enter the Dragon. Mm -hmm. And so that was imprinted upon my conscious awareness. And it left an imprint of this real life superhero. Mm -hmm. And it was just like an archetype that felt so resonant and so relatable and so true to me. <laughs> yeah. And it, it still does to this day, every, every day that I've walked on this earth since it, that feels the most intrinsically true Yeah, as far as my walk in this world, like the archetype of the warrior, mm-hmm. both the sage and the warrior intertwining together and doing that dance mm-hmm. and writing that line, mm-hmm. you know, between the, the pacifist and the warrior. Mm-hmm. And that kind of sums up so much of my journey just interpersonally, like the, the walk that I've walked in this life. And I mean, martial arts has such a deep, deep meaning to me. Mm-hmm. One of my Taekwondo masters, he used to tell me that he felt like I was born in the wrong time. Yeah. You know, wow. and that's kind of an interesting thing, you know, with like, you know, because when you look at like feudal Japan and the samurai culture, the Bushido culture and the transition in the late 1800s from the warring nations in the where life was basically like a battlefield all the time and you were always prepared to die and when that transitioned over into more of a socialist type of state Mm -hmm. then all the the samurai had to figure out what they were going to do and you know there's this kind of this common theme where some men are just not made for times of peace Mm. And, you know, I think there's some past life stuff there for sure. Not to say that I'm not made for a time of peace, but what I I guess what comes up for me when I mention that is this warrior energy that's always been in me and it's really reactivated big time in 2020. Mm. And as we become more aware of the psychological war that we've been thrusted in. I mean, really since the since the advent of World War II, but like where it's now become so overt and so obvious, mm-hmm. just the the battlefield, the landscape of it looks very different. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a psychological mm-hmm. battlefield that we're having to navigate mm-hmm. spiritually, psychologically, emotionally, yeah. in some cases physically or at least from a stress response, trauma response perspective. Yeah. And the the physical body having to being animated, all those those trauma boxes mm-hmm. or the the psychological stress mm-hmm. that we're navigating and moving through and it animating in the physical body. And for me, all that got reactivated big time the last year and a half and two years. And then a mm-hmm. lot of really deep ayahuasca journeys, just like really yeah. 
brought a lot of that forth. And so, Hmm. yeah, it's just, that's kind of, and I didn't really know what I'm going to talk about until you asked the question, but this kind of just what's coming up for me in this moment, you know, Mm -hmm. just thinking about my martial arts background, that's really the foundation of who I am. Yeah. When you share that, Mm -hmm. it, it actually, it's so powerful that the power of reference point, like when you first shared, you know, Bruce Lee, as in a reference point that was imprinted in your consciousness at the age of from four, five, six years old. And to have that like description of superhero or like how you saw him as this real life superhero actually creates a beautifully vast reference point that you're, you chose to live into throughout the the whole of your life and now kind of actualizing that archetype. And it made me think, I was like, wow, where did it come in for me? And I thought it was Ninja Turtles. And yeah, yeah, the- <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, and um, it was it was the next, and the next Karate Kid, I believe there was a female martial artist in there. Right. And, you know, right. that these, these reference points can be so powerful as a child, you know, to not fantasize, but actually create a reference point of possibility to live sure. into. And so then actually training in the dojo as a martial artist for how many years from four to how old? 23 is when uh, I transitioned, like from being a professional martial artist, but it wasn't like a, just a straight line, you know, yeah, there yeah. were, there were a lot of, um, my life was anything other than organized. Mm -hmm. Like I I was raised in an environment, my familial environment was very functionally dysfunctional. Mm. I never had a father growing up. So there was, there was an archetypal and physical parental kind of void there. Mm. And Mm. then I I didn't really have any structured parental guidance. Mm. So I felt like I was just kind of drop shipped here. And then I had to figure it out on my own. And that's why having that reference point was so critically important. And I can see how, how that was perfectly placed to give me like a, a lifeline, yeah. to give me something that I could hold on to that could carry me through mm-hmm. those formative years that were very confusing. Um, mm-hmm. Not that I knew they were confusing. That's all I knew. But when I look back on it, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm astonished. Yeah. I am astonished that not only I made it through to become who I am now, but there were a lot of trappings along the way. And martial arts was really like my saving grace. It was my North Star. And I I don't know if you remember the movie Best of the Best. Uh, I don't remember that one. Oh, my gosh. Okay. well, at some point, maybe it'll still activate those same receptor sites. But Uh it's an amazing movie. These two brothers, Philip Ree and Simon Ree, who are like world famous Taekwondo martial artists. And this this movie is like in the 80s. You know, it's like an 80s martial arts movie, but so just like beautifully done. And I remember watching that when I was 10 years old. And it's about, you know, essentially the Olympics for, you know, at the time, like Taekwondo without the hogus and without the gear, like full on Korean style, like. Taekwondo and Mm -hmm. and they go to the world games and that so that gave me another reference point yeah I was like oh oh I could I could do that Mm -hmm. so like throughout my life I'm getting these directional like anchors yeah right to make up for the lack of any actual direction or any guidance that I would have had from a parental figure Mm. it was like dropping these little reference points in my mind to guide me towards something Mm you know, beyond, you know, my environment. 
Yeah. It's so, it's such a powerful thing. You know, I, I love to invite everyone listening to, you know, kind of attune to your own life story. And it's so easy retrospectively often like to look back and see how perfectly precise the signals, the omens, the invitations were throughout the course of a life. So for you, I'm hearing like retrospectively looking back, seeing Bruce Lee and your Taekwondo masters in the container, the masculine container of the dojo itself, the integrity and commitment that that forges and the demands attention and devotion. And, you know, those, that skill set that was called for through you so perfectly placed for your developmental, you know, like actualization into the pathway that would lead you to where you are now. And so I love, you know, just there's something so powerful about attuning to the precision of that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would invite everyone listening to really like take a pause and look back at the timeline of your life from the early years and even the things that felt the most challenging, what came in, in its place, even the, the challenging reference points come in and ultimately serve as a catalyst for us to break free. And so I feel like I just want to honor the way life organizes itself in such a perfect way to support our evolutionary process. And so coming from this place now, recognizing the martial artist in you and what was both forged, but based on what you said about always being a warrior, always Mm -hmm. having this stoic nature, you know, not only forged in you, but also almost like reminded you was there already. It's Mm -hmm. almost like it called forth the, the space of the dojo and the training and the martial artists and the teachers, like almost like stripped away anything that would have you forget what was already true to your essence, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of the, the warrior archetype. So let's fast forward from after the Taekwondo years, you're 23 and are starting to transition out. And you also mentioned year 2020 of like what got kind of reactivated in you. I'm curious if you could speak into that a little bit deeper. Yeah, totally. Well, I think it's definitely worth mentioning. So when I was so when I was 15, let me just kind of mm-hmm. there's a few little little uh, timeline points here. So when I was 15, I was running on the track and field and I hadn't really gotten serious about competing in Taekwondo. I had wanted to for a while, mm-hmm. but I I was kind of holding back for whatever reason. And I remember running on the track and field and it was like a lightning bolt stopped me. It was like, I just got my body halted. I just got stopped by some kind of energetic. And there was this voice that came through that wasn't my voice. Mm-hmm. And it just said, do you think that you're going to live forever? Mm-hmm. And it was like, boom. And all of a sudden I got the vision for going to the Olympics mm-hmm. and making this massive shift in my life. And the next day I was back in the dojo I was signing up for all these tournaments and getting really serious. I basically lived in the dojo for, for years on end. Like I, I started to, as I started to compete and develop myself and get really serious about it, I started to model my pattern around other professional athletes. Mm-hmm. I started to see what, what was their schedule? What was their training schedule? Like mm-hmm. there's usually two to three sets per day. So then I was like, okay, it's like, yeah wake up at 6am. Eventually I got that to Mm 4am and then I would be in the gym by 430. And then I would do an entire training session and then I'd go home, rest, eat, whatever. And then I would do another like track and field, like running up hills or stairs or Mm -hmm. sprints. 
around 11 o'clock. And then, then by then I had developed myself into the head instructor of my Taekwondo school. So I was competing full-time and teaching full-time at the same time. Wow. So I would run all the classes throughout the day. And I'm also like working out with the, I'm doing yeah. everything with the yeah. students yeah. throughout the classes. Mm -hmm. And then I would have one more sparring session that would be around like nine to 11, go home, go to sleep, wake up, do it again. Mm -hmm. And this would go on for years. And then I'd just be competing full time. Yeah. And then at the age of 18, I had my first knee injury that led to my first knee surgery just from overtraining. And then, but that was the first moment where like I was physically immobilized from doing the thing that got me through. Mm -hmm. You know, like it, it was my coping strategy as well as my passion. Yeah. So then that was a huge like bump in the road. And then I had to focus on more psychological development and, and having to work around that. Eventually, I got really deep into rehabilitation strategies and how to how to heal the body, the therapies mm -hmm. around the body and, and kind of getting more into nutrition and health. Around 23, had another knee injury, mm. knee surgery, but that one was a lot easier because I had healed the past one, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just beating through it. But, but by then I was already like, I competed in the US Open. I was already mm -hmm. like, like right there. I don't know if you remember <laughs> Steven Lopez. He was the- um, Yeah, I trained with Elite. So I'm, I'm okay. already struck by okay. your, it. the parallels in our stories. I, yeah. so- I started training when I was eight at 13, I had a spinal fusion for scoliosis, which took mm -hmm. me out. And I, they told me I'd never fight again, but I would go this at the time I was living in St. Louis training with my teachers there. Oh, and, yeah. And so I got, I would sit in class and watch until I could walk. I walked until I could kick, I kicked until I could fight. And then I fought until I could compete again, full time. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then at 18, I, I went to Rice university because it's based in Houston. So I could train with elite. So I was training six hours a day, getting up at 6 a.m. to go to Sugarland to train, drive back to Rice, go again right. at lunchtime, go for two hours to train, drive back to go to my afternoon classes, and then drive back at night to go to train it after dinner in the evening and then come back, go to sleep, do it again. I was doing that. And it was a, a second spinal surgery that took me out of the sport ultimately. And there's right. a couple of things I want to name there. And you said it was a coping mechanism. And at that age... Through all those ages, all my teens, all the way into college, I didn't, I had a, an intense home life. You know, I had a lot of stuff going on with my father and, and a lot connected to addiction and his journey with addiction. So without realizing that it was a coping strategy and a passion, that was a powerful point. Yeah. It was actually that. And so then for me, what I hear when you came out of it with the knee surgery, the first one, it actually catalyzed you to go into more learning. Yeah around the body and working with the body, which would further lead to your passion. I just yeah. want to name the other side of the coin for me after my second surgery, the first one, I was driven to go back into it. The second surgery at 20, when I stopped training, it revealed the kind of like lack of coping mechanisms that I actually had to mm -hmm. tolerate the magnitude of emotional upheaval that was occurring in my life, my family life at home. And that of course would translate into like my relationship dynamics and those layers. So that's when my journey with addiction began of starting to pair numbing with whether it's prescriptions or alcohol with numbing the magnitude of the emotional experience where Taekwondo kept me straight 
but it was also its own coping mechanism. So just naming that and also kind of marveling at the parallels between your two knee surgeries and my two back surgeries and the the training there. So I want to circle back to the coping mechanism. And then when the coping mechanism is gone, when it veers into addiction. And so I just, I'm pointing the pathway towards that, but I want to circle back first to, so you're competing at the national international level, us open, and then circling back to Steven. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I was just mentioning that and that's crazy that you, that you obviously trained with the Lopez family. I remember being at the U S open and I was gonna, my fight was the next day and I was at the bar. I wasn't drinking. I just was like, yeah. you know, out walking around and I bumped into Steven at the bar and he's like, there with some friends. I don't think he was, he was already like kind of the biggest name in the U S yeah. Olympic scene for Taekwondo. I just bumped into him and met him and just got to talking and, and I just remember that, you know, I just was yeah. one of those little data points. And then the next day I fought at the U S open. And so, so like the point of mentioning that was just to say that I was like, I was at that point where now it was like, that was my breakout year. 2007 yeah. was like, that was the year that I was about to break out on the scene. Like after all these the injuries and all the tribulations and all the struggles yeah. and yeah. All the work and fighting so much work. Team. Yeah. Keeping the thing alive. And then, and then I had a, yeah, I had another knee surgery, but I worked through it. But the point is just to, you know, drive the point and move on is that something had happened in my personal life that caused me to that forced a choice point moment where I had to actually choose. And I was actually forced to choose whether I was going to continue on this monastic kind of path towards this Olympic success and my original dream, or I was going to veer off and go down this new path that was being opened up for me. Mm. And my heart chose the other path. And so there was like a splitting that happened. That was my first like major timeline split that I've had many now in my life. And that's what ended up driving me eventually to get into the holistic health world. Mm. Got it. So yeah, so that first knee surgery, and that's a big decision to make. You know, from two, from two, it's one thing if you're like forced through a negative catalyst, but if you're like right at the precipice of breaking through to, you know, being ranked nationally and internationally, and this passion is developing parallel as a, a, through the knee surgery catalyst, and you're developing your skill set in that way, you're an all in kind of guy. It's a full-time commitment in either direction. And so what was it that helped you make that choice? Like what was the thing? Well, the situation was that I ended up falling in love with one of the students' moms who, Mm -hmm. so like just for context, like I'm like 20, 22, about to be 23 at this point. Wow. She was 11 years my senior and (laughs) my senior, she's 11 years older. Yeah. She was like 30, 33, 34 at the time. And her, her son and her daughter, her son particularly was like one of my top students. And I trained him since he was like four till he was seven. Mm -hmm. There was like a relationship that was developed there. And we were, you know, it was just a very taboo kind of thing. And her and I kind of just connected in a very auspicious like way. And then we had this four month like um, relationship that we were developing. And then eventually I brought it out because we wanted to be together. And there was just like a whole lot of politics and things that happened because of it. And then I was brought in the office and I was forced to make like a a choice. So there was like a few things tied in there. There was not like, 
it wasn't just that particular situation. There was like this like energetic of betrayal and abandonment mm-hmm. and like being forced to like choose between, you know, like who at that time was the love of my life mm-hmm. and the thing that I loved in my life. Yeah. And my heart just was like, she's sitting next to me and I'm being told this. And I was like, well, I guess this is goodbye then. Like this, wow. is, this is where we part ways. Wow. And so you then, chose, you chose the love. You chose to stay with her. Yeah. Wow. And you know, it doesn't sound like you guys ended up staying together. No, and we, we had a three-year relationship and mm-hmm. um, it was a beautiful relationship. I just ended up going through a spiritual growth, AKA a crisis about mm-hmm. two and a half years later. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and I was still very young and, you know, naive in some ways, um, very mature in other ways. And then, mm-hmm. you know, that, so then I ended up, that was another timeline shift mm-hmm. that I ended up shifting out of, but I, I basically was like the surrogate stepfather for her children too. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, I I'm saying that I'm naming that to say, I can feel because through my own experience, I've had moments like that when I, it felt like a choice point, like between the love of my life and like the desire of my family or these like heart wrenching decisions. And it's almost like it matters as much as it did in the moment, but it doesn't matter that the two of you didn't stay together. What matters is that it, she served as a potent enough catalyst for you to make a decision to, to shift out of your Taekwondo career, which you had spent all of your life training for a six, seven, eight hours a day, like full time that way. And it took something that strong to shift you out of that timeline, which had you now walk on the path that you are lining up with today in the way that you serve today. So when I feel that to me, it just, it blows my mind the way life will organize itself. And when we look back retrospectively, things make sense that feel like the most heart-wrenching, the most challenging. And it's like, wow, if that would have never happened, all the lives you've touched through the exploration of consciousness through your work as a human optimization specialist, through your work with nutrition and addiction, all of that, that whole timeline opened up as a function of the love that you shared with this woman. And I'm sure a lot of the healing and, and I don't want to jump over the intensity. I can imagine of having to make a decision like that. We're talking family listening. Like I've walked this too. the passion for a sport like this. You can imagine you know, Taekwondo is more like not as mainstream, but imagine a a gymnast, you know, who's been training for the Olympics since they've been four and at 23, they veer out of the sport. And that is a big, a big thing. It was a big thing for me to leave Taekwondo after that back surgery. It was a big thing for you to, to make this decision and a big, and it required a big love. Think of, think of athletes in the collegiate and professional and Olympic athletes today and what they have to deal with. They have to choose between maybe, you know, choosing between pursuing their dream or having to be forced vaccinated yeah, you know, or whatever other, like whatever incentivized mm-hmm. things are being implemented into the sports arena. Now, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it, it's wild. It's wild. And talk about living your life beyond the edge. You know, the athletes that have refused vaccine and actually put their career on the line when they oh. very easily could have the resources to get a fake one, but still actually because of just the integrity of being a public stand for a no are willing to put their career on the edge 
the fortitude and devotion and integrity that it takes to do that. To me, that's someone who's living their life on the other side of an edge. That is like the biggest fear facing off with it, embracing it and choosing the highest truth that you can see in a moment. And I just, I really have big heart and big compassion because I know how much goes into just the day-to-day training to operate as a professional athlete in that way. And, you know, these are big game, like big life-changing decisions. And so I really see how this one for you was a total timeline shift. So you go in the direction now, it shifts your trajectory entirely. So you're a passionate guy. That passion redirects itself in a new direction. And then that's, that's great because that's, that's where I wanted to go with this too, is that the dojo itself just changed forms. Mm -hmm. Like the biggest gift that I received from that first injury was going deeper into my own psychological development, studying, like I was voraciously reading books on. Yeah. on different martial arts, you know, styles and different techniques and, and different things, philosophy, sports performance, like different ways to train and, and rehabilitation. It started to expand my horizons and caused me to become more of like a student and a scholar versus just focusing just on the physical training. Mm. Mm. And that's, that's really what I, I do now, you know, all the books that I've written and the lectures I've given and, and all the different things that I've done now that helped lay a foundation for me to be able to organize information and synthesize it and integrate it in a way that is, is kind of like, it's really, it really is Bruce Lee's model and his philosophy of Jeet Kune Do, which is, which is, you know, dispelling and distilling the non-essentials mm. until all you have left is the essentials, but it's integrating everything that works from different styles or forms or philosophies and and ideas and making it uniquely yours, seeing how your body uniquely moves. Mm. Because although, say, for example, a punch or a kick technically, fundamentally is the same movement, everybody's body is going to express itself uniquely. Even in, you know, breath work, like the breath work modalities have a particular sequence or, or uh, technique, but everybody actually breathes uniquely to their own blueprint, their own geometry of how their body and their, their you know, their physiology operates. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so it's like when you start to look at it from that perspective, you have that, that lens mm-hmm. to look through. It's really, I mean, it's, it's really liberating mm-hmm. and it's really powerful, mm-hmm. right? Because then it's like, now I can see to your point, I can see the geometry of my life and the chaos and the, the disorganization and all the things. And I can see how life was, was molding me and fortifying me and creating a template for me that only I could have walked. Mm. Mm. And I'm still, and I'm still deep in it. Like even in in this moment that I'm talking to you, I'm deep in another like full circle karmic completion, familial completion Mm -hmm. process in this exact moment as I'm talking to you. And it's funny, I'm going to just mention this too. It's funny that we're talking so much about Taekwondo, which I never go deep into this with anyone on a podcast. (laughs) I just received my third degree black belt, the physical black belt, like I, that I've had for, you know, 15, 16 years. I just actually received it from my mom. She dug it out of some boxes because she just sold her house in, in, 
I'm helping her move, you know, across wow. the across the country. So she literally just brought it to me two That's days wild. ago. That's wild. Yeah, the synchronicity in all of it is so wild. And and honestly, too, like the parallel pathways we've walked, you mentioned earlier, you know, getting deeper into also medicine work, but oh, yeah. and also having a history with, you know, healing addiction in in the form of food. I know, you know, I have shared on this podcast before that, you know, after the Taekwondo era, I graduated from Rice and went, I thought the next best thing must be working for professional athletes that are living their dreams. So I became the executive director of marketing for one of the biggest major league baseball agencies. And I'll tell you, sitting behind the desk is not the same as being the one out there on the field, living your passion. So I started numbing myself with prescription, go to Western medical doctors. I can't sleep. I have anxiety, but I'm successful. What's wrong with me. It must be me. That something's off. And there's a pill for that. So totally dependent on prescription medication. And it was my journey of the ego death of leaving that career, Florida ceiling windows on Rodeo drive, like this whole ego trip of representing the biggest names in major league baseball. I left that agency and went to an NFL agency in Houston, just skipped, shifted parallel timelines, not, not a higher timeline, literally a parallel timeline, told myself different sport, different city. Maybe it'll be better then. Of course, the same cycle repeats itself, numbing myself with the prescriptions. And it was finally when I turned myself in and went to my doctor and said, I'm not getting off these prescriptions, went to my bosses and said, I, I'm dependent on these prescriptions and I need medical leave to get off of them. My doctor wrote me a recommendation for medical leave. And it was my journey of getting off all the prescriptions, which then, you know, was the new coping mechanism after Taekwondo, right? So it's the, just the next thing of the, the lack of true passion and having access to an authentic space of healing and the tools in order to do that. So it wasn't, there was nothing wrong, right? It was, it was, I was in the wrong life. I was in the wrong timeline. And so yeah. it was that healing that then through my own, you know, recovery and, and, and shamaning myself, resurrecting myself, letting, letting the entire identity die of who I was told I was supposed to be. Then I found my freedom, right. in in the nothingness for the first time, and the passion towards transformational work and transformational facilitation, working with plant medicine and all these new pathways opened up. So here we are, like you and I kind of merging in, yeah. in this timeline of both being our passion, being devoted to human optimization, personal development, transformation, healing, you know, the expansion of consciousness, the evolutionary process, all very, we have similar pathways. And so I'm curious for you, where was like the spark around addiction? Because actually Ronnie and I reconnected because I was noticing within myself, some of these like addict, like these addiction patterning and it's lighter. I don't know if it's a lighter form, but connected to food, like noticing where I'm kind of like, fuck it with food or, you know, in these subtle ways, whether it's addiction with sugar or, you know, any leaning on you know, the relationship with food is the way it was kind of showing up for me. And I saw Ronnie is doing a lot of work around, you know, breaking addiction cycles, whatever it is for you, these subtle, these subtle coping mechanisms we have, whether it's food or TV or sex or escaping into negative future fantasy, it looks different for everyone, but they're all ejections out of the potency of your current now moment. And so I'm curious for you, Ronnie, kind of how you got into that part of it and, and what that work looks like now, like what, how did it occur in you? And, and I'm, I'm curious to just kind of dig into that with you. 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, so I started becoming a professional nutritionist back in 2011. Mm-hmm. And so through the course of, of that journey and that research and that experience, you know, ad- addiction is a common thing. Mm-hmm. And it's something that I'd researched, you know, whether it's street drugs, pharmaceutical drugs, it's food, it's sugar, it's alcohol, it's cigarettes, tobacco, cannabis, you know, pornography, et cetera, et cetera. Some things would be more of interest than others, but it would all kind of, it would all coalesce over the, over the process of just studying healing and degeneration and, and human optimization and studying the things that get in the way of that process. And then, of course, I had my own journey over the years of my own healing and my own development in the things that I needed to overcome or, or take a really good look at. And there's like cycles that certain things would play out in my own life. And I would notice this with my clients as well. And so addiction has always been a conversation that I've had with people, but it didn't really come through big time until about 2020. As far as like that becoming more of a main focus and then me writing a book on it Mm -hmm. and leading people through dopamine reset group Mm -hmm. programs. Mm -hmm. I've been studying dopamine, you know, for about 10 years, just as its relation to physical health and brain health. But I went really deep into it in 2020 when it became clear that I also, like so many people that I was studying or working with, I should say, I also had my own dopaminergic addiction cycles that I was running on. The most things that I was dealing with was like a nicotine habit through tobacco, on and off coffee cycles, caffeine addiction, or I want to say not addiction, I want to say attachment. Mm. Let me use that word more specifically. You know, there's pornography back and forth, or, you know, in my, you know, my 20s and early 30s, just Mm -hmm. as a coping mechanism again. And these things that are socially acceptable that we don't necessarily identify as addictions or even drugs, Mm -hmm. but are very clearly drugs based on the MRI imaging scans of brains. When you, when you look at the scanning of people's brains in the effect of things like whether it's pornography or caffeine or social media, drugified technology, Mm -hmm. and you see what happens on people's brains and how it affects their dopamine receptors and also seeing how it affects our behavior it's obvious that these are all very addictive, you know, substances or technologies or patterns that have a very real effect, not only on our brain and our physical body, but also on our personality structure as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I started to notice these things within myself. And again, they were coping strategies that I took on to deal with the intensity and the stress of different situations that I was going through. I, I went through a divorce in the beginning of 2021. Mm-hmm. from a, a one-year marriage. And that was, a, that was a, a beautiful start to what ended up becoming a very intense relationship that mm-hmm. you know, had to work itself out. So I went through the, the legal divorce process and then mm-hmm. got into another thing with another woman, then had to collapse that. And it was just like, mm-hmm. so and even that, like even the, the relational, the monog- mm-hmm. serial monogamous or like getting, or these little rebounds that would happen, even that, kind of that, that becoming a very obvious, Mm -hmm. um, addictive attachment, Mm -hmm. coping, Mm -hmm. fill in the space kind of thing where ultimately I was having a very difficult time just being by myself. And, And I'm the type of person that tends to do well by myself, but not 
alone, not to feel like isolated, especially when I'm really going through Mm -hmm. a lot of things in my life. And so there would just be these things that I would reach out for, not consciously until it became conscious to just help me move through, to help me manage. Yeah. And so, you know, long story short, that's kind of the, the professional side kind of met the personal side where I had to start applying everything that I knew. And I had to start going deeper into this to not only help other people, I really realized until I start to heal and help myself get through this, yeah, I can't really show up for anybody else. I can't help anybody else. I've reached capacity. And by the way, I want to mention too, it's not because I had an addictive personality mm-hmm. or I was an addict or, or mm-hmm. I, anything was really wrong with me. I was going through so much mm-hmm. that most people didn't know about outside of my close circle and I was isolated in it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I use these, these coping strategies as a way to just manage the internal disconnect in the tension and the existential pressure that I felt going through the last couple of years, especially 2019 and 2020 mm-hmm. were massive, massive catalysts, as I'm sure most people mm-hmm. can relate to. But here's the beautiful thing. So just going through these processes, I was able to alchemize my own personal challenges and redirect that into my professional work. I realized like, okay, this dopamine issue is way more of a problem than I originally thought. So I started diving deeper into the dopamine fasting research mm. in the addiction recovery work mm. and started to kind of like unpack a lot of what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from other researchers and experts and other people's experiences. And then I, I just mirror matched it to my own experience. Mm. And I realized like, oh yeah, okay. Now I have a more of a handle on what's going on here. Um, neurochemically, psychologically, emotionally, I started going deeper into trauma work mm-hmm. and unpacking, you know, my own trauma and then getting deeper into medicine work with ayahuasca and MDMA and psilocybin assisted psychotherapy and just starting to work out all this stuff inside of me mm-hmm. that I knew was there, but it was like, it was just very familiar. Like I was just accustomed to it and, and starting to go doing the medicine work in particular, helped me backtrack through all these different experiences in my life that led me back to my most formative years in childhood to go into this father wound and this mother wound and to see how deep those imprints yeah. were. Yeah. And I would have had no idea because it was just that was my normal. That was just my, that was just what was familiar to me. And so it just took me on a very deep journey that I'm, I'm just in the human experience of it. Mm -hmm. I've excavated so much, but then this, this book idea came to me, which it just kind of came in a flash as most of these things do. And within like 10 seconds, the whole thing was just kind of shown to me. And it was the addiction free lifestyle. Mm. And I was also needing a new transition point for my message and my work Mm -hmm. because I was also, as a nutritionist, I was most well-known in the raw vegan world. And for 10 years, I was, um, I wasn't a raw foodist for 10 years, about three and a half years, but I was a vegetarian for 10 years. I wrote many books and gave many lectures. And and that's, that was kind of like one of the things I was known for identity wise. Mm -hmm. 
was, you know, this raw vegan, raw vegetarian, like kind of mm-hmm. this message and healing and cleansing and, mm-hmm. and, and driving that message. And I went through a transition in 2020 where I started implementing meat back into my diet through a calling in my body, mm-hmm. like a very shamanic type of calling mm-hmm. that told me that it was time to make a transition. And so I went through like a ceremonial process of, mm-hmm. of refeeding myself. And through that process, I went through a complete identity shift. I had an entire paradigm completely unpack. Mm. Um, I had a very, like an ego death, right? Like I had an identity disillusion and then something new was emerging. So then I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like there's, I can't really do what I was doing before. I can't really like, that's not my message anymore. So I was needing something to shift into. Yeah. Yeah. And it just so happened that, the addiction work came in for me to do the work. But then as I'm doing the work, it became clear that this was going to be the next iteration of my work and to integrate everything that I've learned as a nutritionist, as a holistic health practitioner, and cleansing detox strategies, supplementation, lifestyle optimization strategies, building it all into this puzzle. Because in the addiction recovery world, it's scarce. Like it's not very well, like addiction and trauma are very well understood, but how to heal the human being physically, psychologically, neurologically, and all the rest is not very well integrated. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of just mm-hmm. spread out there. And people are told that, you know, you, you have to just abstain and, and go into some kind of support group or, you know, well, very, just very like, cookie cutter type of advice. And so people understand what addiction is because of people like Dr. Gabor Mate and others, Mm -hmm. but they don't really understand the holistic integrative lifestyle approach to not only heal themselves, but to, to transition from an unhealthy lifestyle into what a healthy lifestyle actually looks like. Mm -hmm. Wow. Beautiful. There's so much in there that I want to unpack. First of all, I just really want to name how much I appreciate your journey and speaking into addiction from a place of recognizing the subtleties, you know, like coffee or, you know, the tobacco in and out or, you know, TV or like the, all these, it's, it's the dopamine hit. Right. And so I like what you said. It's an attachment, like using the word attachment instead of addiction. You know, I, I don't know that you know, someone who drinks coffee would consider themselves an addict, but they may like be able to see, oh, there is attached to that. There's an attachment. Right. And so there's this opportunity where there's attachment to receive some freedom so that you're in a space of choice when you you are choosing something or not. And so I think that that is a really powerful frame for anyone listening to kind of attune to your own life. And I do believe we always have choice. You could even choose to stay attached. But I would encourage the choice to become aware of what's actually happening, right? So to not go to sleep on yourself, the energy, like to be in a total space of transparency, sometimes it's still, I'll go into patterning and I am aware that I'm doing it. And I know what I need to do for myself is say, okay, I'm making a conscious choice right now to eat this extra dessert. I'm aware that it may not be the best thing for me in this moment but I'm consciously saying, fuck it. 
And so I'm, it, it's like, it's, I'm not like in this, a semi-conscious unconscious moment mm-hmm. of being tugged by the attachment, but pretending that it's not there. I'm actually having ownership and compassion at once. Cause then there's also the, oh, I'm doing, I'm eating this cake right now, but I shouldn't be. So then I'm aware that I'm doing it when I shouldn't, but I'm also judging myself and shaming myself. It's a higher timeline from my perspective. And I actually do better when I don't like militantly pressure myself because I'll rebel against myself. I witnessed that. And having clear boundaries, like when I do a cleanse or when I do a three-day or a five-day fast, it helps me to have that clear boundary that Mm -hmm. I set for myself. And it builds self-respect and self-honor when I say I'm going to do something to do it. So if I haven't said I'm going to do something and I decide I'm going to eat some chocolate at 10 p.m. or whatever, and I have friends over and it's a thing I decide I'm going to do, it's really an internal alchemy of just owning ownership and also like compassion, I think, with myself. And then from that place, I can choose like, okay, is this an attachment pattern that I want to maintain? Is it serving me? Or do I, out of my sovereign choice point, want to go deeper into the relationship with the dopamine hit I'm getting from this and actually experiment with what it would be like to not have that attachment? Mm-hmm. 100%. Incredibly well said. And and yeah, I mean, there's many levels to it. And you're right. Like At the end of the day, it's all about choice. And we want to be in a place where we can make a conscious, clear choice about whatever we're doing. And so none of these things are inherently wrong in of themselves. It's just, is it productive? Is it counterproductive? Is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? Is it supporting? Is it unsupportive? Does it provide what I need for energy production? Does it dampen my energy production? One of the things to help people discern between the two, because when we're in a state of, you know, when the dopamine system gets numbed out and the receptors in the brain get overstimulated over time, they get blunted. And this is why sometimes like this is why depression is so high, you know, amongst our population. That's a that's not only a low dopamine baseline. It's actually the blunting and the damaging of the dopamine receptors from overstimulation, overproduction. Mm. And so you need more of the thing in order to feel at baseline, Mm. right? Mm. And so one of the things that's helpful is just to start getting a, well, a get back into your body. Now that, that sounds, that's obvious, Mm -hmm. but then you have to develop rituals and practices for grounding back into your physical body. So you can scan and assess how you actually feel, because I could tell you, you could, you know, how's the phrase go? Like most people, it's not a lack of information, right? Most people know if something is healthy or unhealthy or useful or unuseful. It's just, there's, there's a deeper cause there. So Mm -hmm. we have to get back into our physical body to actually sense this is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. to sense our sensations if they've been numbed out or we're on autopilot Mm -hmm. or we're just running a million miles an hour Mm -hmm. or if we're introducing too many chaotic variables into our life and throwing out the balance and the consistency and the structure in our life then we're going to need a counterbalance which is going to be something that we need to to kind of like 
balance the the pressure or the stress, the anxiety or the 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 chaos that's coming into our life. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I also I appreciate too the integrity of where your work is coming from. The facilitators that I respect the most are the ones who have actually walked the talk that they're talking. So I hear you in the chaos and the change and the shift and the evolution and the healing that you've been in since 2019 specifically and how this catalyzed your research because the research you're doing it for yourself and it's actually being integrated. So when you're speaking, you're speaking from a place of, of knowing it's not from a place of recall. No, I know. Yeah. This is, this is, this is known. Like not only is this quote unquote known in the, in the field. Mm -hmm. um, And I don't mean like the quantum field. I mean, the field of researchers, Mm -hmm. this is something I know so deeply and Mm -hmm. so intrinsically, this is not theoretical. Yeah. This is a, just there, there's a scientific validation and verification Mm -hmm. for all this. It's clinical research. But aside from all of that, this is real lived experience. And anyone that's worked through addiction knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anyone that's listening to this, that's struggling with any form of addiction or attachment, whether that be substances, that be technology, that be sexual trauma, relational, mm-hmm. it all has the same type of energetic. Some are stronger pulls than others. Mm-hmm. Some bring up deeper wounds or, or triggers or whatever since physicalized sensations than others, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting too, to hear you say it's also can be a function of life balance, like the, especially in the subtlety of like sugar or TV, or, you know, if you're in a state of big change or there's massive, um, like ancestral healing happening, or there's a lot of chaos in your life. It's like, okay, I might be more inclined to like go home and eat some sugar at that point <laughs> or like, you know, or ground my energy with, with food, but it's actually an unhealthy choice in the moment because I'm escaping from the moment. It's too much. It's like hitting a threshold point of yeah, what it, we can actually yeah. capacitate. So I wonder about, you know, just noticing that. And then you said coming into the body and actually practicing, expanding our threshold of tolerance to what's here before we reach out to whatever it is, the tobacco, the TV, the whatever. And we're taught, we're working for many people listening. We're working in subtleties. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. And yeah, we're working with subtle energies and this will be helpful too. So what defines an addiction or, or not defines an addiction, but what defines something being addictive is how much dopamine it produces in the brain and also how easily accessible it is to you in the moment. Mm. So what you just said is really important, being able to create a gap, a mm-hmm. wedge between the sensation, the urge, the thought, the impulse, and the behavior. So in this, this is something that'll take time. So it's like, how do you get into your body? How do you get from the mind into the body in this case? You, well, you have to breathe. So when you feel that sensation or that impulse, fully acknowledge it fully register it. Don't try to bypass or check out of it. Fully register it and then just breathe into your body and just feel where that's coming from and just feel the discomfort, feel the edge Mm -hmm. and then just expand. And if all you have is one breath, two breaths, three breaths, and then you go do the thing again, fine. This is an accumulative process. This is a progressive process 
but but you that's that's kind of one of the one of the response strategies that you can use. There's there's many others that you can go deeper into, but ultimately what it does come down to is a choice. Mm-hmm. And you have to not only choose to to make the change, you have to actually want to. Mm-hmm. And th- this is something, you know, that again, it seems obvious, but there's actually kind of a deep thing right here because you don't always want to. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you know that this isn't good for you. Yeah. You know that this isn't right for you. Mm-hmm. But do you do you want to let it go? Mm-hmm. Right? That that's like a deeper inquiry that somebody gets to make for themselves and and I'll be honest, like I'm still in I, there's layers to this. So like yeah. the one thing I say which is don't quit on quitting. Mm. Right. Because then you might feel you might feel like, OK, I, I've I've I'm out of integrity with myself. I told myself that I was going to quit this thing so many times. Mm-hmm. I, I've come back to it. I'm, I'm on. It's like a cycle. Mm. I quit and then I come back. But these things, it's like layers of an onion. Yeah. So and because you don't know, you don't necessarily consciously know where the linkage of the energetic is, because it's not about the mechanism itself. It's not about the outside thing itself. That's just a mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's a deeper cord within you that's being unraveled that mm-hmm. has a link to that. That's that's linked itself energetically to that as the soothing mechanism, as the perceived medicine. And some of these things are actually medicine in the moment. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> For me, I know tobacco can be can be medicine. And it has been medicine, especially because it carries a masculine energy. It's grounding. And I also, you know, being in so many really powerful relationships with women and kind of this, this interesting dynamic that I've had with the feminine, there's been an imbalance within me that I've had to find balance with, mm. you know, not having a father again. Like, so there's been the, this, this seesaw within myself and my unmasculine feminine polarity and integrating those two things together and also being very masculine yeah. and being very connected with the feminine, mm-hmm. but not always feeling super held by the masculine. Mm-hmm. So then you could see how like the grandfather energy of yeah. tobacco for me would come in in states where I'm stressed, I'm uncertain. I feel just kind of like, you know, a little lost or just not sure mm-hmm. of myself or what to do. That would be a, a medicinal energy to come in and help me ground. Yeah. And it's a slippery slope because nicotine is an addictive compound. And the more nicotine you take in, the more receptor sites that it creates in the brain, meaning that it has more receptors that need to be filled by the thing that you're taking in to get the effect. Wow. So what I'm saying is that there's a sacredness to some of these things and there's a medicinal quality, but then you have to be able to know what that what that line is. And if we've gone too far to the extreme with it, there does have to be a reset process we go through. It's kind of like a relationship, right? Like if you spend two, and this, here's another one too about dopamine. So, you know, you get into a relationship with someone, it's, it's magnetic, it's charged, it's passionate. It's, it's, it's all the things, right? It feels so good. The tendency is that we'll spend all this time with the person mm-hmm. and we're our dopamine systems are linking up. And but the thing with dopamine is that it, it wants novelty. 
the brain wants novelty, right? So if you give it too much of a good thing yeah. all the time, mm -hmm. then we get filled up and then there's going to be the, the pain pleasure seesaw. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're loading up on the pleasure bank account, mm -hmm. but the, the uh, you're building up a debt in the pain or the discomfort bank account because the two have to be in balance. Mm -hmm. The way the brain creates homeostasis, you can't be too far into pleasure or too far into pain or discomfort, there has to be like a equilibrium between the two. Mm. And so, so how, the, how would you recommend people balance that that are in like committed relationships living yeah, the, together kind of thing? You, yeah, that's where I was going to go with it. So you, if, if sometimes you need space, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that. So this is like building in this, the individuation process, right? Mm -hmm. Like building in spaces of space and individuation so that we're not totally enmeshed all the time that we also have our individuated identity our own our own personal walk our own personal you just yeah. let's just call it space yeah. so then when you two come together it's it's kind of just more it's fluid yeah there's like a, a fluid dance that's happening between the serotonin and dopamine system so serotonin is about being present and content and happy dopamine is about um it's goal orientation it's motivation towards the future mm. right so when those two are in balance and together then you have harmony you have equilibrium you have presence mm. um and so it's like so that's kind of what the example i was using with some of these substances or 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 um whatever the thing is is that you you can have the medicine but you also have to have space away from the medicine in order for it to have a medicinal effect and not become a poison yeah it's such a, it's such a powerful point. I think, you know, both relationally and when it comes to medicine and medicine work, you know, and mm -hmm. I do see mm -hmm. that, you know, there, there, there's a danger, you know, as someone who I'm passionate, I believe in the, the power of, of our, these master plant teachers. I believe in the allyship that is present on the planet at this time in the way these teachers serve are uh, as a catalyst for like quantum rapid expansion during a time on the planet where we may not have that much time. We need to get together. You know what I mean? So bless. Thank you so much to these plant allies. And I can see where there can be a shadow of overuse and there can Absolutely. be a shadow of crutching you know, mm -hmm. crutching on, on them or having a peak experience. And then there's an integration and integration yes. is not always comfortable. Integration requires you to live into the reference point that you achieved in a medicine journey in your 3d day-to-day -day yep. experience that is likely has aspects of it that are reflecting the version of you that you were yep. before the ceremony. The, 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 yeah. Yes. And that's the confusing part, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like you. So what you just spoke to, and by the way, with the plant medicine thing, like 100% can't make that point enough. Mm -hmm. And that's such a great mirror mm -hmm. for anything that somebody may be working through. The integration process is key. And so like, if you go back to that model of like the spiral dynamic of the, the onion or the, the ring in the tree, it's there's there's layers and there's like almost like timelines that that like the hero's journey it's it's not one phase it's a cyclical repeated pattern mm. that you you complete a cycle but then you go through another cycle and there's going to be remnants there's going to be residue of the old cycle right it's not a punishment unless we're the one punishing ourselves through judgment and shame and guilt 
like, oh, why do I feel this again? Why, why am I going through this again? I thought I cleared this 10 years ago. Yes. It's like, yes. no, these are, these are, these are old reference points or old iterations of ourself that are, that are just coming up to the surface to be seen, felt, heard, and integrated. Um, and that's just, I'm just like thinking how interesting that is now that you mentioned that, because in my own life, I'm sitting in that right now. And today was particularly frustrating. I have to say, just like, I won't go into any details, but I'm just feeling in the moment of like, yeah, today was like, today was one of those days where I just woke up and I was just like, wow, this is, this is a little challenging. And I'm in a familial karmic completion process. And I know that I'm like in that self-completion, but it's bringing up a lot of stuff from my childhood and from, you know, how I was raised. And like, that is explaining a lot about you know, certain patterns and behavioral patterns and habits, and also what has led to different addictive tendencies by mm -hmm. seeing the mere reflection of that being presented to me in a very unavoidable and slightly yeah. confronting way. Wow. You know, through a parental figure. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, so I'm, I'm talking about it. I'm receiving from you. And I'm also like, yo, I'm in this too yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's the dojo. Yes. It's like, it's still, it's, it's the, the way I frame it is like literally like the, the, the dojo container that you and I each kind of were forged within the container where there's it's devotion, it's passion, it's commitment. It's, and, and now it's that energy is directing itself towards that relentless devotion to self-actualization and freedom and life itself becomes the container it becomes the dojo, this the space inside of which we are, we have come into to become more of ourselves. And from the most empowered place, what I'm hearing you say today is you're not only facilitating this, you're living it. I operate in the same way. And so you're seeing your, your life, your, your current environment as the, it's the dojo you're in training, you're in school, you're in, you're in it now, but thank God bless the perspective and the context to be able to see that loop patterning mm -hmm. that you're, you're speaking to of like, okay, so my human, I can have compassion for my human here, whose who's physical body and, and the somatic memory is getting activated as if I were seven again, kind yeah. of thing, you know? Yeah. And I have a quite literal, you know, authority figure, parental figure literally right in front of me. So it's it's the, the perspective because so many people on the planet at this time do not have the blessing of that perspective. Mm -hmm. So if they were in the same scenario as you, it's like, a full trigger into the seven-year-old and then acting as if the activated emotional body is actually real, like the real thing. And then we're catapulted back into that same scene, that same way, that same protective way of being. And so it's so amazing to witness. And, and I walk in the same way, the gift of holding the perspective, but also just allowing yourself to feel and hold the aspect of yourself that's getting activated and see it as a part of the evolutionary perfection. Like this, as we're starting mm -hmm. to close out the episode, mm -hmm. swinging us right back to the beginning, the yep. perfection of how life organized itself that yep. in, we could say in five years or, or in five months or in five minutes, you'll turn around and look back and be like, this is fucking perfect. Right. But while you're in it, the perfection of where you are, who you're with, the circumstances that are organizing themselves around you so precisely to bring up the exact thing that is for you to see and to heal. So it's like, we can say, so that's true. 
But then I'm also feeling that not jumping over just the human experience of at the actual felt experience of, whoa, this is a lot, like a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And it's like, it's a, it's a moment by moment play. Right. And I think that's the challenging part. Like what was coming up for me earlier was this feeling of like time. I just can't, I can't wait for it to, to just yeah. move forward. Right. Yeah. And then also, but then also fully aware that I'm, I'm all, I'm just right here right now. And I, I can't escape it, nor am I trying to, but I'm just, but, but also feeling the internal angst or pressure of just the, the timeless kind of portal of this moment. And then knowing that another moment will become another moment. But when you're in that moment, it's almost like all time collapses and it kind of gets drawn out. And th yeah. that's, so that for me is like, that's an example of being in this particular edition of a dojo mm -hmm. yesterday, it was very different. I was driving for, you know, 10 hours straight and just like in a very different, like warrior focus, like mm -hmm. clear, I'm, I'm having a 30 minute dialogue inside of my own awareness with God, like back and forth, like mm -hmm. super connected yeah. and just like on a mission today yeah. we landed. And so yeah. I'm just like, Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Oof. Like yeah. even as I talk about, it, I'm recognizing like, oh yeah, this is this makes sense. It's the recoil. Yeah, this is rebound. Like you held so much. Like I'm saying, I held so much. Yeah. That now it's just rebounded. So that yeah. this is kind of what we do as warriors, as martial artists. That's how we started this. Like, um, as as leaders, there's moments in time where there's a lot going on, but we're just in our zone and we're holding it. And we're just like in that, like we're in that zone of genius and, and that's like the medicine space. That's the exalted, the exalted self showing up. And it's really important to lock that in and to anchor that and recognize that, but don't get attached to that being the end all be all. Like, that's just going to be the way it is. You, you know, how it's yeah, like, I've had this many times in, in medicine yeah. spaces and ayahuasca journeys at the end of it, I just made it through a freaking like massive enduring yeah. quest and i'm on the other end and i'm like in this avatar exalted self and i'm just like the old self is dead like i this is what is and then like the next day or days after i'm like i'm i feel like i'm just been broken into a million pieces yeah. Yeah. and what adds to the suffering is the disappointment and this is this is what's come up for me in this moment. And I'm seeing like this is something that's just a theme in the human condition. And, and for many of us that go through the and this is a lot of it is dopamine too, the high and the low, the high and the low. And we want to learn to integrate and stabilize these states that we achieve. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to, we're not, we don't get disappointed. Cause this is the thing I think is most painful for a lot of us, especially like personal development. Um, you know, spiritual growth orientated people is that we reach a particular state, but then maybe the next day we feel like we're falling apart or we're depressed or, we're, or things aren't working out and we get down on ourselves without realizing that this is actually makes complete sense. This is a rebound because I was holding so much and my best self showed up. And so now maybe this is an opportunity for me instead of trying to hold everything Maybe I just let, let it go and surrender. And this is a day for self-care and rebalancing. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's such a good point. It's such a good point. You know, I feel like one essence of enlightenment must be the capacity to truly accept what is in every single moment, you know, and like, it's non, it's, it's truly enlightenment isn't everything's fucking great from my perspective. I don't know at all, but from my perspective, it's not everything is or liberation or like enlightenment or liberation or highest expression. Let's let go of the idea that it's everything's always exactly how it should be and perfectly in flow and easy in its perfection all the time. Perhaps true liberation and true enlightenment and true embodied love is the capacity to be with whatever is in any given moment in your highest height, in your lowest low with perspective and total non-resistant allowance and embrace in every single moment. And may that, may that be our, our prayer, you know, for, for you today in this moment of opportunity. And while you're also still firing bombs throughout this entire podcast, and, and for myself and for every single person listening, you know, as, as we continue to evolve and grow, but when the growth, when the desire to dopamine reset or be a Taekwondo champion or, yeah. um, become the most masterful facilitator is coming out of a resistance to what is from my perspective, it's fragile yeah. and unsustainable. 100%. Right? 100%. Yeah. 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 And I just want to mention too, in relation to like how we started this in the context for your show, why do we train? Like, that's the question, you know, as, as, as martial artists, like you and I in upbringing, it's kind of obvious we train because we want to compete we want to get better. We have these goals and we want to move forward, but why do we train in the dojo of life? Right. Is it again, to your point, like, it's not about the circumstances being this or that they are what they are and they will be what they're going to be. Yeah. So it's to train, to meet every moment as fully as we can Mm -hmm. in that moment and to see like the progress for me, I'm getting to see my progress yesterday. I was like, damn, you are like, you are something else. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's a force inside of you that is showing up so fully today. I'm like, Oh, damn, that's the little there's still a little wounded boy there that still has a little bit of like upset, frustration, anger, resentment. But that's why we show up. That's why we train. And so so it showed me, oh, you get to train that more. You get to show up more for yourself. You get to work on that piece right there in your dojo. Yeah. So you can show up more fully in life beyond this moment. That's it. This is the part. It's like resistance training, you know, like the, yeah. the right, like literally like the little boy, like that's where the strength is really fortified and cultivated is in the moments when it feels the hardest. That's yeah. when the truest self-trust and capacity is forged. And so I really honor you. I, lo- I love, I love how you just, you just put a smile on my face when you said, I didn't even, I it just landed so good for me when you said <laughs> resistance training. I was yeah. like, oh, okay. That's that's it. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's- I can work with that. When we're in resistance, it's like, Uh, that is, that is, oh, I'm in training right now, you know? And it's, it's the opportunity to entrain into allowance, you know, resistance will always block us from the ability to actually embrace what's here. And so it's, there's a, there's a, a strength and a trust and 
there's always so much medicine in there. When we're in resistance, there's something, there's something medicinal about that moment. What are we afraid of? And that's the dojo that is our life. Living our life beyond the edge is utilizing resistance as a technology to actually look at Mm. what is it that I am resisting? What is it that I'm in resistance to? Okay. What do I, who do I need to be to know that I'll be okay if the thing I'm afraid to feel were actually to occur, why don't I collapse mm-hmm. that to the mm-hmm. now, receive it mm-hmm. in the moment and mm-hmm. clear the resistance. So it doesn't mean I prefer it. doesn't mean I want it, but at least I'm not in resistance to this yeah. one thing that might happen or this one thing that is happening whew, into a deeper sunk in allowance. And that's mm-hmm. the dojo. That's the, mm-hmm. the, the life school that I feel like all of us are in. And it's just yeah. a beautiful frame that it feels so good to be sitting across from a brother who also really gets it on the foundational level to the degree that I do. So thank you so much for bringing your medicine and your voice and your heart, which I feel so deeply now. And I know everyone listening does too, to this space. And I would love to invite you to share where can anyone listening find you? Do you have any programs coming up that you would love to share? Sure. I appreciate that. And, and I just want to say a thank you so much for just holding such a beautiful space. And uh, yeah, just your your masterful articulation. I appreciate it so much in, in creating the, con- the context mm-hmm. for the conversation. This has been really amazing. And I also want to say for everyone listening, um, I just hope that you gained something or multiple things from this. and. Um, it's just interesting timing, you know, for me personally to show up in the, like, this is another example. Like usually when I'm on a podcast, it's like, it's a particular energy and it's, but this was like, there's more it's vulnerability. I'm, I'm yeah. in, I'm literally in the moment of. That's what we the, like. This is yeah. the right crew for that. And, and this that is what sense. we want. <laughs> you're, you're the only, you're the only um, podcast or, or anything that I, I still kept in my schedule. Everything else I rescheduled. Wow. So I, I know that this was for the perfect, uh, this was the perfect moment. And I just appreciate the opportunity. Um, what an then, honor. Yeah. And as a masculine figure as well, to bring in a warrior masculine figure, I really feel the devotion with which you, you, you journey in your own emotional body and, and, and the strength with which you meet the world just as a man. Mm. And there's so much power and inspiration to me in witnessing the brothers in my life who are melting into the vulnerability and the capacity to feel full spectrum. And those are the brothers that are holding space for the feminine in the full spectrum. Those are the brothers who inspire my own masculine. Those are, you know, you're doing the work, you know, as a former athlete, as a, a warrior figure, you know, like this is this is the work. And so I just want to affirm the inspiration that you are in bringing your heart and your vulnerability in this way, because I know even if just one sister or brother hears this message and is inspired in a way that they would not, could not possibly have been if we were just all up in the technical mastery that you so clearly have and also came through as well, but actually the like, oh, wow, like there's a deeper cut here. And that's exactly where we went. And so I'm super grateful for your willingness to go there. And I feel your heart and I'm so excited for more of you in my life. (sighs) Now tell us where we can find you. (laughs) Oh man. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram or Facebook. Instagram's a little more, a little more activity there. 
I have a YouTube channel. I have a podcast as well. You just type in Ronnie Landis into iTunes or find me at my website, hhphealth.com. There's different coaching programs and stuff as well. But if you want to just reach out to me, if this resonated with you, if you want to connect with me, reach out to me either on Facebook or Instagram. And uh, yeah, love to connect. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ronnie, for being here. We both honor each ear that has been present with us today and the incredible way that I know all of you listening walk and live your life beyond the edge right along with us. Thank you for being here. Thank you all for creating this space to receive this transmission and for having the courage that it takes to live your life beyond the edge. If you feel the call to go deeper with me privately or explore the dojo ecosystem, the best place to start is by visiting zaharazimring.com and taking your free micro dojo. You can also find me on Instagram at Zahara Zimring, and I love hearing from you guys. So feel free to send me messages, make comments, and I will absolutely get back to you. I also would deeply appreciate if this episode or any of these episodes have touched your heart, leave a review as it really supports this show in touching more hearts and more lives all around the world. Thank you for joining and I'll see you next time.